hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and I stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the, are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let's, um, let's pray as we come to God's word, shall we? Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word and the ways in which you speak to us and encourage us and excite us through your word. And we thank you that your word uh, is accompanied by your presence. And we pray that you would um, do something fresh with us this morning, we ask in your name. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series called I Believe In, uh, and we've been looking over the past few weeks of I Believe in the Trinity, and today we're looking at I Believe in Miracles. And I know some of you have got a song ranging through your head right now, let's not sing that one, it's not appropriate for church. Um, but we are talking about miracles, and it's important that we talk about miracles in the context of the past few weeks, in the context of looking at the majesty and the wonder and the otherness of God, our God who is both three and simultaneously one 
one and one and simultaneously three. It's a mind-blowing uh, thing to get your head around. And so is this concept, really, of God being miraculous. And you may wonder, well, actually, we're talking about miracles. Why have we chosen Ezekiel 37 as the passage? There are hundreds, literally hundreds, of stories of miracles from the, from the beginning of creation right through to Revelation. There's all the incredible miracles that Jesus did in his time on earth that in- included raising people from the dead, turning water into wine, walking on water, calming storms, all these incredible miracles that Jesus did. Why choose Ezekiel chapter 37? Well, part of it is selfish. For me, this is one of the most exciting passages in Scripture. I absolutely love this passage. But I hope it will become clear why we've chosen this one to look at today's particular theme of believing in miracles. Now, you're going to need to picture the scene of Ezekiel. It's quite an incredible thing to picture. Hopefully you heard it being read, but just just to sort of picture the scene, that Ezekiel, uh, who's a man of God, he's a prophet of God, uh, suddenly finds himself stood in this valley uh, between uh, two high sides, uh, and in front of him are hundreds upon thousands of bones. And it's very significant that the Bible describes them here as dry bones. Why is that significant? Because it shows us, I've learned this this week, and and you'll see why in a minute, uh, that the drier the bones are, really, the longer they've been there. So these are people that have been dead for a very long time. The fact that they are in a valley probably means that they were victims at some point of a battle, a big battle, because as you know, if you're walking through the valley, you're vulnerable to people who are higher up. And so these people would have died in a battle hundreds of years before. And I love this passage because it's just so uh, visual. I have here some bones that have been found for me this week in the woods. And I thought, with these bones, we don't know what they're for, some kind of animals, I'm sure. I thought, as we've got them here today, we'll test our faith. Because that's exactly what happened. Ezekiel was stood in a valley of dry bones, in front of bones, and what does God say to him? He says, Ezekiel, can these bones come to life? Now, what would your response be if I said right now, Exactly, that's your response, isn't it? You laugh it off. You'd say there's no chance. These are dry, these are dead bones. There's no way these could possibly ever come together in a million years. It's absolutely bonkers and ridiculous. God, you are out of your mind. Is that Ezekiel's response? No. Ezekiel stood in front of this valley of bones. These, these bones are people that have been dead for years. And God asks him that question, and he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Only you know whether they could. And then this incredible scene unfolds before him. He begins to hear this kind of rattling sound. Now, Ezekiel's job is very clear. Ezekiel's job is not to perform a miracle. That is not what Ezekiel is there for. Ezekiel is asked to do one thing. What's he asked to do? He's asked to speak. That's what God says to Ezekiel. He says, speak forth what I tell you to speak. And Ezekiel says, uh, I will, th- these bones will come together, basically. That's the first part of the prophecy. And he hears this, this rattling sound uh, from amongst him. And he probably would have been a little bit, uh, a little bit worried, <laughs> to say the least. Maybe a little bit freaked out as these bones began to rattle around him. And then suddenly they begin to form and come back together and then to stand 
and he's suddenly confronted with an army of skeletons before him. Now, an army of skeletons is no good to anybody, is it? And so God then begins to put flesh on those bones, those bones that have stood before him that once were in the ground, some half buried, and now standing in front of him, and he begins to see flesh and muscle and veins and all that kind of stuff appear onto these bodies. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's like the decaying process in reverse. If you've ever watched anything like Silent Witness or any of those kind of crime shows where you have people on a, an autopsy table and, and, and all these kind of... It's like that in reverse. It's just, it's just this flesh is coming back onto these bones and suddenly he's confronted with a whole load of, of, of human bodies. But again, they're still no good to anybody because there's no life in them. And then God says, prophesy to the winds, Ezekiel, prophesy to those four winds because I'm going to breathe life into these bones. And God's doing this for a very particular reason. He's doing it to, to show Ezekiel, this is what the people of Israel are like. They're, they're, they're dead in their sins, they're dead in their transgressions, they're, they're worn out, they've given up hope, they've lost all hope that I'm going to save them, that I'm going to redeem them, that I'm going to do what I promised to do. And so pretty much they're just walking zombies, if walking at all. They're, they're dead in their transgressions, they've given up hope. But I'm going to breathe my life into them. This is a very similar uh, prophecy to the one we see in Joel, where he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And he's saying, I'm going to do that. I promised I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that. And to show you that I can do that, I'm going to do it right now with these dead bodies that are right in front of you. And then Ezekiel speaks to the winds, and he says, come, O winds, and breathe. And we know that the word breath that they use in the Old Testament, the word ruach, is the same word that is the word for spirit, is the same breath that you see hovering over the waters and breathing life into Adam. He prophesies to the winds, that breath of God, namely the Holy Spirit, blows through the valley and life comes into these, these bodies. And suddenly Ezekiel is confronted with an entire living army. It's an incredible scene, isn't it? It's a really exciting scene. And there's three possible translations, I think, as to what could be happening there. The first is that it's a metaphor. That uh, It's almost like a parable, in a way that Ezekiel's telling this parable in the way that Jesus told stories of things that didn't really happen to make a point. And so there's this metaphor that Ezekiel's using of something that God could have done with these valley of dry bones. The second is that it's a vision, that Ezekiel was lying in bed, he was fast asleep, uh, and he had a dream, a dream about what God was doing, because he suddenly found himself in this valley, he's having this dream, he's having this vision. We know in the Bible lots of people have visions, things that don't really happen, but it, they have a vision of something as if it's real. And maybe that's what Ezekiel is describing. There is, however, a third option. It actually happened. That Ezekiel generally did stand in a valley of dry bones. He genuinely did see them stand up and come together. He genuinely did see flesh appear on them. And then he genuinely did see the breath of God breathe through The third one of those options is the hardest for you to swallow, then I would say that our vision of God isn't big enough. If we don't believe that that could have actually happened, and I'm not saying whether it did or it didn't, but if we don't believe that it could have happened, then I think our vision of God isn't big enough. 
We're talking here about the same God who spoke creation into being. The same God who flung stars into space and knows them all by name. The same God who knows the very number of hairs on your head. The same God that raised Jesus from the grave. The same God who came in the person of Jesus and performed the miracles that I hope we all believe that Jesus genuinely did perform. So why couldn't he turn a valley of dry bones into a living, breathing army if he wants to? You see, if we struggle to believe that this could have really happened, that it could have been a genuine miracle, then the life-giving, life-transforming verse where Jesus says, with God all things are possible, will mean nothing to you. Because you'll say, with God all things are possible, but in the back of your mind you'll be thinking, yeah, but the Valley of Dry Bones didn't really happen. So is everything really possible for God? What if we say we believe that all things are possible? Interestingly, Jesus talks about that verse in the context of us being saved. He's talking to the rich young ruler, it's the eye of the needle, that kind of thing, actually. And he says that all things are possible for God. And so when it comes to miracles and believing in miracles and praying for miracles and wanting to see miracles of any kind, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's a restoration of a relationship, whether it's something absolutely incredible that we've never seen God do before, we have to remember who it is we're praying to. And I'm not saying here that if we don't have enough faith, miracles don't happen, because I don't buy into that theology. I think if God wants miracles to happen, they'll happen. And our faith in that makes no difference. But why would you pray for a miracle if you don't believe that this could have happened? Why, why bother asking if you don't think you're asking the God who could do it? Because he's a big God. And he is able. Now, I can't say and I can't explain why it is that sometimes we see miracles when we pray for them and sometimes we don't. I wish I had an answer to that. The reality is we don't know. Does that mean we shouldn't pray? No. But there's a caveat to this. That when we pray... When we ask God for any kind of miracle, for any kind of breakthrough, whether it's for healing, whether it's for provision, whether it's for anything else, the most important thing we have to bear in mind is that we don't seek the miracle more than we seek God. That the miracle doesn't become the thing that will get us closer to God, but that actually our relationship with God is the priority and any miracle he chooses to do or not do is still a bonus. And even if he doesn't perform that miracle, he's still God. And he's still good. And he's still yours and you're still his. He's still your everything. Your relationship doesn't then depend on that healing happening. It depends on who he is. And what he's already done for you. And I want to talk just briefly about the greatest miracle of all. I mean, Ezekiel is a pretty amazing miracle, I'm sure you'll agree. And, and, it's, and it's a life-changing one when you, when you grasp what, what really happened there. And, and then all the things that Jesus did, there are some amazing miracles. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You know, they're life-changing miracles, literally. But the greatest miracle of all, there is no miracle greater than somebody coming to know Jesus Christ. Is no miracle greater. Why do I call that a miracle? Well, what does it require to come to faith in Jesus? It requires 
God sending his son into the world to die for the sins that we've done. It requires us getting to a point where we recognize we need Jesus in our lives. It requires us then surrendering our lives uh, to that person of Jesus and finding forgiveness and healing and freedom at the cross and then finding that he rose from the dead three days later and that we can have life in all its fullness with him. And all of those are only possible because of one thing. Grace. And grace is something that only God can do. And I think that's the best definition I've ever heard of a miracle. What is a miracle? Something only God can do. Something that there's no possible human explanation for. There is no possible human explanation for the Valley of Dry Bones. But there is a miraculous one. And grace is the greatest miracle of all, because only God could do grace. (laughs) Only God was in the position to be able to give us the gift of grace. Only God was in the position to send his son to die for us because he loves us that much. Only God was in the position to forgive us our sins. Only God was in the position to give us life. And it's a daily miracle. And there is no miracle I seek more in my life than seeing people come to faith in Jesus. I want to see healing, absolutely. I want to see uh, provision, I want to see incredible miracles, I want to see life-transforming miracles, I want to see people's lives completely transformed and changed by healing that God brings, or whatever it is. I will be praying for those things, I'll be believing for those things. In the words of uh, some people who spoke on this, I can't remember who, so I'm not going to quote it, uh, but it's along the lines of, I pray until the miracle happens, and then if it doesn't come, I keep praying. And I pray again, and I pray again, and I'm going to do that. I'm someone who will pray for those miracles, but there is no miracle I want to see more than people coming to know Jesus. Because that is the greatest miracle there is. There is no miracle worth seeking more than that. And so, this whole concept of seeking and believing in miracles, actually for me, is about believing in the miracle maker. The person behind those miracles. And I want people to know him. You know, I want people to receive the truth of who he is. To see the truth of who they are in him because of the miracle of grace alone. To see what he's done for them. To see what he's won for them. And what I want to see, like in the Valley of Dry Bones, is that if there's anybody here this morning who has lost sight of that grace, of the life that is offered in the person of Jesus, that that same breath that breathed through the Valley of Dry Bones will breathe through our church and our benefice. That same breath that breathed life will breathe life into us afresh, that we may say, we believe in a miracle maker. We believe in a God who is behind it all, and above it all, and in it all, and through it all. And why? Who gets the glory for that? Not St. Mary Slapham, not Carl the Rector, but Jesus. I want him to get the glory for everything he does, so I want him to do things that only he can do. Does that make sense? And, and saving lives is something that only he can do. No one else is going to find their life saved anywhere else, except in him. So I'm believing for that miracle. That's why our verse for the year is that the Lord is adding to our number daily those who are being saved. On Tuesday night at Alpha, 
we had um, we had two people say this course has transformed our lives and it's only week four <laughs> um, I'm believing for the Lord to add to our number daily those who are being saved and that requires a miracle so what I'm basically saying to us as a church is let's get on our knees and pray for that miracle and believe that it can happen because we believe in the God behind the valley of dry bones who breathes life into our dry bones and into those who need him the most today Uh, I just want to encourage you to stand for a moment, please. In a moment, we're going to be singing our offertory hymn, which is a song called We Cannot Measure How You Heal. And I don't know how uh, how well known this hymn is, um, but uh, feel free to either sing it or to use it as a response, however you feel comfortable in this time. But before we sing that, uh, I just want to uh, pray. And uh, again, as we did with the kids, encourage the kids, if you just want to hold out your hands just as a sign, then then do that. And as we've said many times before, his spirit is here, so we're not going to invite his spirit to come because he's already here. But what I do want to pray, and if you want to make this your prayer this morning, is I want to pray specifically, God, would you breathe life into us afresh? Would you renew our vision of you? Would you increase our vision of you? Lord, where we've been scarred by not seeing the miracle happen that we've been praying for, would you remind us of your goodness and your love, even in those times? Where we've given up uh, praying, would you... Give us a desire to grow our relationship with you. Jesus, where our vision of you isn't big enough, we pray that you would enlarge our vision. To believe that you are the God who can do miracles. And may we see many Many people come to know you, Jesus, the greatest miracle of all, that outrageous gift of grace. From the youngest to the oldest in this parish, in this benefice, we pray that there would be fresh life. And almost as Ezekiel stood before those bones and and prophesied those words, Jesus, we stand here and we say, breathe on us, breath of God. Breathe life into the dry bones in the places we live, in the people we've been praying for for years. Breathe life, we pray. And where we don't understand, where we don't understand why sometimes we see it and sometimes we don't, Lord, would you increase our trust in you 
thank you that you know what you're doing, even when we don't. <laughs>